This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Salah. Let's take Cancelo off. Brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Absolutely sensational. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9 is just for kicks. Your football fix on BFM. And it's Friday the 10th of February tonight. I'm Ali Johan sitting in for Cam Rasla, talking a lot about the Premier League games that are coming up this weekend. And I have two of Malaysia's best football pundits with me tonight. Mr. Des Hill. Hello, Ali. Hey, you had a stutter to start. You're a little bit nervous on this debut, son. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I forgot to mention. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's a big, big weekend of, of football, obviously. Um, Merseyside Derby, biggest weekend of uh, of my footballing um, uh, calendar. It's, it's huge for us. And joining Des tonight is Bob Holmes. Hi, Ali. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, rest assured, you've got the crowd behind you. Thank you, thank you. Let's hope so. Uh, a lot of football tonight. Uh, match day 23 uh, of the English Premier League. But before that, um, big, big news in world football, actually. And this one regarding English Premier League team, Manchester City. Six-time English Premier League champions, they've been charged by uh, the EPL with over 100 breaches of its financial rules. This was between the years 2009 and 2018. And why it has only come up now is because it's taken them four years to do this uh, investigation. So Des, take us through the charges that are involved here. Well, in many ways, it's um, the, the, the Premier League introduced um, rules so the clubs couldn't actually just pour millions and millions and millions of dollars into into the game and um, disrupt the natural evolution of, of the game. And so they put some rules in that said, you can yes, you can put an investment in, but then you can only spend what you generate, uh, plus, plus a, a little bit. And Manchester City said, yes, of course, we'll play by those rules. And I think we've known for a long time that uh, they, and probably others, have not been playing by those rules. And uh, for a long time, take Manchester City out of this equation. For a long time, I have been horrified. Long time, I literally mean uh, since the start of the Premier League. The the um, the sheer brazenness of Premier League teams, the sheer avarice, the sheer greed. The, it's about us, not about you. Of um of, of just wanting their team, their little group to be top of the pile. And Manchester City, if these um, charges are proven, and uh, no doubt there'll be a four-year court case, but they have been proven to be paying underhand payments. They have been proving to breaking the laws that they said that they would agree with. And if they are found guilty, well, you throw the book at them, you you get rid of any titles that they won under these dishonest, um, dishonest methods. And real credit to the Premier League for probing this one for so long. I've real sympathy with the um, the administrators in the Premier League. If you go into a sporting contest, you've got to expect that some integrity will be part of, of the equation. Some to how the teams will not do what Barcelona did and inflate, um, create money out of nothing. We'll do not want Manchester City are, are charged of them, of having external... Um, that the, sorry, their same sponsors pretending that they're paying into other uh, companies who are supporting Manchester City. It's downright cheating. It's naked cheating if they are found to have done that. And it's so without the spirit of what football is all about. I've been worried that something like this would kick uh, kick us in the face for a long time. In many ways, I'm happy it is kicking us in the face because the sheer greed and avarice has got to stop sometime. Hmm. Bob? 
Yeah, well, I uh, agree wholeheartedly with uh, those sentiments. I think any listeners uh, to this show will will realize that where we stand on this. And I think most right thinking people also uh, stand in this position. Um, there is a tendency to assume that city are guilty. Um, we are always told that you're innocent until proven guilty. But this uh, just might be an exception to that rule, not in the court of law, of course, but in people's minds, because City have been doing this ever since day one, and they have been totally blatant and brazen about it, where there's always been some modicum of restraint from other clubs in terms of trying to adhere to the rules. City have just hired lawyers on £10,000 an hour. Yes, £10,000 an hour is what the top guy will get. Now, that's even going to stretch City's budget, I think, if this uh, court case drags on for years. But they have realised that they have the money, so they not only buy the best players, hire the best managers, but also hire the best lawyers to look after them if anybody has the audacity to question them. So there's animosity from all the other clubs in England and in Europe around the world about how City have gone about their business. And just to put it in layman's terms, people are wondering, what have they done? Well, they've got to stick to a budget, right? If they, they want to hire a top manager, they wanted Roberto Mancini at the time. Now, he's a manager who wants three million pounds a year that's his going rate so under financial fair play they could only afford to pay him one and a half million so what do they do they ask him to do four days work for one of the shakes companies and they pay him 1.75 million for four days work four days work being coaching the children of the executives of that company so they've hired a top top manager on three plus million a year which they weren't entitled to do under the rules. So that's just one example. Now, there are 115 of these. That's why it's taken the Premier League so long to get round to this. Hmm. So this is not uh, nitpicking. This is serious stuff. This is really, really the biggest story in Premier League history. And that is why it's dominating the airwaves. That's why we're leading the show on it. This is big potatoes, make no mistake about it. And, and the consequences are that it goes down the leagues. Forget the Manchester City have cheated. Everybody else has got to play catch-up because Manchester City are, are so far ahead through their nefarious methods. Other teams have got to actually overspend to try and keep up with the cheats. And you're seeing the number of clubs going into administration. I think I, I read a third of the English professional clubs have gone into administration this century because everybody has got to play catch-up. And it starts at the very, very top. And I've, I've been worried about this for so long. And it, if, if they're found guilty, and gosh, if they're found guilty, it's it's just a kick in the teeth to English Premier League football. And, and it's standing, and British society in many ways, again, in that, yes, the almighty English Premier League is not the almighty thing at all. It's built on cheating and lying and financial avarice. Yeah, and you know, the headlines that are dominating out there are the other possibilities that could happen to the club itself. Pep Guardiola, will he still be around? You know, because he's come out to say before that if he works with companies that deal with these things, 
he's out of the door, you know, he's, he's going to leave. And then there's also possibilities of points docking. And these are all things that will pan out eventually once we know the results. It's not looking great for City now, is it? Price is love. In in, in, in in many ways, um, the attention on Manchester City is now so focused off the field of play that um, anything they do on the field of play is secondary now. Even if they go and win the Champions League, well, they cheated. Even if uh, Haaland scores 40 goals, even the Haaland thing is a, a strange salary arrangement. And you kind of go, it's beyond. You're, you're, you're playing games. You're, you're, you're not playing remotely straight. Mm. And I'm sure City aren't the only ones who do this. But it's uh, yeah. I, it, it's such a kick in the teeth to the average fan. I think the only one thing that the players are going to be talking about since Monday on the training field, in the coffee shops and wherever they meet at night, is going to be one topic and it's this. And whether they want to leave City, whether they uh, want to renew their contract, whether other players can come in, etc., etc. I don't see how City can possibly win the league under these circumstances. And we haven't heard what away fans are going to be chanting and, and everything else. Um, I mean, they're going to have to have uh, rhinoceros hide skins and earplugs, I think, when they go on the field to overcome this because uh, no, no club has ever faced this kind of thing before. I know they're professionals and, and they'll still be hard to beat, but when it comes to the crunch in the run-in for the title, I think the wind will be behind Arsenal in this. Speaking of that... We're going to shift our focus to the Premier League where City take on Aston Villa Monday morning midnight game. Um, Villa, how are their chances in this game, Des? And do you think City will be focused for this? City are under a little bit of pressure anyway on the field of play. They've had a couple of um, unusual results for them. There's always a stutter from Man City in the middle of the season. And uh, um, and Villa, under the new coach, are a different beast. Um, I think there's a little bit of revenge in the Villa hearts as well because they were the ones who succumbed to the three goals in six minutes that gave City uh, a remarkable title win on the last day of last season. I remember so, that. So um, there might be a little bit of payback there, but it's a new coach for Villa. They're a completely different side. City, no doubt, will be um, uh, having half an eye on, on all, all, all the scurrilous rumours. But the players who were there are bloody marvellous players. They really are good players. And uh, and, and I'm not with Bob on this one. I think that they, they may well actually uh, come together in adversity and actually try to see this one through. It's either that or they'll implode. But I, I think this, this group of Man City players are so good that they'll respond in a, a positive way. Let's talk about the football if we possibly can. And I see nothing but a, a comfortable City win. That was Manchester City and the financial scandal that we just learned about this week and also their upcoming game against Villa. When we come back, we're going to be previewing more Premier League games for Match Day 23. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9 is just for kicks. Thanks for sticking with us. It's Ali Johan tonight sitting in for Cam Raslan and I'm with Des Cockhill and Bob Holmes. We're going to go through the matches that are coming up for this weekend's action in the Premier League. Leeds versus Man United. And this is a strange one because Man United just played Leeds uh, uh, in midweek. They drew the game 2-2 but that's a repeat of a game that they had to reschedule back in um, September or something, right? Now is the return fixture this Sunday, 10 p.m. kickoff. Leeds versus Menu Bob. Yeah, intriguing uh, game. This uh, made more so by the closeness of the contest three days ago, 
Yes, it does seem like a FA Cup replay or something. But no, these are two league games. Uh, and it's been caused, as you say, by the cancellation of uh, the previous uh, fixtures. So uh, United got a bit of a shock on a roll with a, a long run of victories against a team who just sacked their manager, who couldn't buy a win, couldn't buy a goal. In the very first minute, they go a goal down. And then a bit later on, they're two goals down with an own goal. They did well to come back and get a point, actually. They could have nicked it in the end. But it was a cracking game. It really was a cup-tie atmosphere. It felt like that. Of course, these are great rivals. They go back a long way. A lot of aggravation, particularly from the Leeds fans. It's one of those rivalries. It's not a 50-50 thing. It's, it's about 80-20, and most of the aggro is from Leeds. But uh, never mind. It produced a, a real spectacle. And Leeds showed that they can score goals. And Nonta is really, really quite a handful, isn't he? On the left wing, a goal-scoring winger for, for Leeds with real pace and fire. And he's going to be a handful for any fullback. He, he played against Forrest at the weekend, and the guy that started at right back was uh, taken off and substituted at half time, you know, for a more experienced guy. I mean, 45 minutes of playing Nonto was enough for anybody. It just gives you an idea. So, this is not a foregone conclusion for United by any means. Leeds will be at home, they'll have a, a fanatical crowd behind them. They will sense that having got rid of Jesse Marsh, who the fans clearly didn't like, I don't quite understand why. Same. I didn't think it was too bad, Same. but they didn't like him, and it doesn't seem as if the players were that keen on him. They've got a, a temporary uh, guy in charge, Skubalu or something, isn't it? His name is. I wrote it down. I can't even find it now. But unheard of guy, number two, but seemed to do a pretty good job. I would say this is a 50-50 game. Leeds are capable of winning this game, but United will have Casemiro back. He was sorely missed by um, United on Wednesday. So that that might just tilt it Manchester United's way. But Leeds will be very much up for this. So it, it could be definitely worth watching Sunday night, 10 o'clock. Tasty, tasty. And now uh, there's Arsenal, Brentford. Brentford are seventh, travelling to the Emirates. Arsenal are, of course... Great round of form, but they're only five points clear at the top. How's this game going to go, Des? Yeah, an interesting one. Off the back of that Everton defeat uh, for Arsenal, uh, this is, I keep saying that Arsenal are going to receive some real tests. They've flown through the first uh, half of the season. Uh, Brentford will come at them. I think um, Arsenal have probably got the, the quality, but on the back of that Everton defeat, should they stutter, this really does open the, the, the title chase once again for Man City, who are playing. Man United missed the chance. Man United would have gone on uh, level up points with Man City if they'd beaten Leeds. So um, it's beginning to really gel up very nicely up at the top. Arsenal have still got the whip hand, five-point lead, a game in hand, etc. But should they struggle against a physical Brentford, then it could change. I don't think they will, though. I like this Arsenal side. I think what Arteta does is really, really impressive. If they do stumble, though, my word, all bets are off. But no, not seeing them stumbling. They'll get the better Brentford. Be tight, though. Yeah, definitely. So that's the Saturday 11pm kickoff, And another Saturday 11pm kickoff are going to be Leicester versus Tottenham. Uh, Leicester, of course, buoyed by that win last week over West Ham. And Tottenham beating Man City uh, last week. 
this game is also uh, two teams trying to get a, a string of form going. Yeah, um, a fascinating uh, contest this because uh, Leicester, as you say, have got a win. They bought well at the end of the transfer window, gave themselves a bit of a lift. It's the first time they've bought anybody since the last summer um, because the uh, the finances were not quite right. And that was holding the back. You could clearly see that. Uh, they had a few injuries as well. But they're not a relegation side. They shouldn't be down there. They, uh, they've been in Europe. I mean, it's only uh, six years ago that they, they were champions. And they've got, still got one or two of those players left. And they've got Brendan Rodgers, who, you know, he is, when whatever's said about him, he, he's not a bad manager, is he? So I think Leicester will survive, no question about it. They may not get into Europe, although it's not beyond them. I think a mid-table finish. And they're playing Tottenham who famously don't play the first half of games, and they'll have Antonio Conte back. He's uh, recovered from his gallbladder operation in Italy, and he took training this week, so he'll be uh, on the touchline. So what effect that has on them could be mixed, but um, at least the the man in charge is back. And again, another fascinating contest, hard to call. Probably Spurs may just about nick it. Although they won't have Hugo Lloris in goal, you could say you could say that's a good thing. Um, but uh, the the deputy is uh, Fraser Forster, isn't it? Is that such a good thing? So anyway, that, that's another one. Cracking watch, I think. Leicester v Spurs, hard to call. I go for a draw. Yeah, and you know, Bob, to your point about Tottenham not playing in the first half, mind you, they scored in the first half versus Man City and saw out the game with that 1-0 win. So maybe they're turning things around, hopefully. <laughs> Conte a, wasn't there, though, was he? Conte wasn't there. That's a, that's a good point. Maybe it's a, this one's going to be a tough one for them, probably. Uh, and the other game, uh, Sunday night, 1.30am kickoff, is Bournemouth versus Newcastle, Des. And Newcastle, despite, you know, We've seen how Newcastle have set up their team now. They're a solid team, but in the last five games, they've only won once. And uh, Yeah, four draws, um, so they're clearly difficult to beat. And that, that, I think, is what Eddie Howe has brought to, to Newcastle. He's made them tough to beat. Uh, Nick Pope, I'm a big fan of Pope, and the back four are Sher and Byrne and the, the physicality that they've got there. They're, they're a tough side to beat. What I think they did do was overachieve with the number of goals they were scoring. Uh, their, that, that percentage um, of goals scored compared to chances created was over what it should have been. So I think we might just see a falling off of Newcastle on an attacking uh, side of things. But this is a great opportunity for them to get back onto the winning track. Bournemouth, I think, are doomed. Ever since the start of the season, they've they've had a little bit of a fluttering. But ever since the start of the season, I've been worried about Bournemouth because they didn't um, invest o- over the summer. They had that 9-0 hammering at Liverpool, lost to coach Scotty Parker. They've managed to re- recover a little bit. But now they're, they're going down to the bottom. It's uh, 40 feet in the last five games, one point in the last five. Bournemouth and Southampton, to me, look absolutely doomed. This is a good time for Newcastle to be playing them, get them back onto, onto a winning track. For Newcastle, they've got the, um, the Carabao Cup. And they've got a place in Europe, Champions League potentially, to aim for. So there's a lot of motivation for them. Nothing but for me other than, again, a comfortable Newcastle win. Uh, those are some of the games happening uh, in Match Day 23 for the English Premier League this weekend. And when we come back, we're going to go over some of the FA Cup games in midweek and also more Premier League action. This is Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. 
Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9 is Just for Kicks. I'm Ali Johan. Thanks for sticking with us. Tonight I'm with Bob Holmes and Des Cockhill. Guys, there were some FA Cup games over uh, midweek um, and we're going to go through quickly some games. Um, these are some lower division teams but also some pretty prominent teams scraping a win. Uh, the first one is uh, Fulham beating Sunderland 3-2 away. How did that go? Des? Uh, well, Sunderland uh, are, are an improving club. Mm. Um, they've always got fanatical support um, and this was a near full house. Fulham did really well. Sunderland will have fancied their chances to take them back to the uh, Stadium of Light. But um, uh, Fulham, good top flight division team now. And even though they played, I think it was eight changes from the, the Saturday team, they've got a good strength in depth. Uh, Silver's a very good coach. That's a very good win, uh, Fulham over Sunderland. Don't count Fulham out getting very, very deep into this competition. Yeah. Vincent Company's Burnley, they're doing well in, in the championship as well. Uh, Bob, do you know a lot about Burnley right now? Well, uh, I know a lot about Vincent Company. Yeah. Um, he is one of those, it looks as if he was not only a great player, but he's not a bad manager either. The way he's transformed Burnley, not only just with their success, but with their style. They're playing attacking football, Burnley. Now, it sounds like a contradiction in terms almost, doesn't it? We've got so used to Burnley being dull and negative over the years, but this is a new Burnley. And such is the impact that company has made that I hear that he's among the favourites to take over from Pep Guardiola if and when Pep leaves City. Uh, Pochettino is the favourite, but companies made such an impact, and he's only just up the road from Manchester. So city uh, folk have um, have been very uh, much aware of what's going on there, uh, what he's done. It's tremendous, and it's rare for a club to dominate the championship. Usually it's an absolute dogfight to the end, but Burnley are running away with this. This was a cup game, and they, they beat a, a, a team from the lower division. But, I mean, they took care of it, so no uh, alarms there. Just worth saying that the argument about replays in the FA Cup, I think we saw enough drama this week in these games, even though they weren't the biggest names, to really argue the case for replays, because there's just nothing like an FA Cup replay, is there, for atmosphere. <laughs> when the underdogs have brought the big boys back to their ground and they get a full house. It's wonderful stuff. It's what the FA Cup is all about. I see you, you're going to say something, Des. Yeah, it's only the elite who don't want the replays. It's only the elite who say, hey, we're too good for the FA Cup. They forget about the rest of the, the table, which which brings me on to Fleetwood Town, a team who uh, we rarely hear about. They've made it through to the to the latter stages. Grimsby, who were out of the league last year, they got promoted. Grimsby used to be in the first division. What chance of them ever getting into a Super League, a European Super League? None whatsoever. And yet people decry their history. They're through. And what a fabulous result it was for them to, to get through a 3-0 mauling of a of Luton Town who are another small club who used to be at the, the top echelons wouldn't stand a chance in any Super League football is not only about the elite I say for the 851st time this year there are some draws that we already know for the next round and Vincent Company's Burnley they are going to play Fleetwood uh, the only Fleetwood I would say I know of is Fleetwood Mac Ali Johan I never knew a <laughs> football team but good, good choice fair play <laughs> 
So uh, there's one of the oddities of uh, FA Cup football for you. But the, we were denied a Hollywood ending from the Hollywood-owned club. It's worth a mention. Wrexham, owned by the two actors, and uh, Sheffield United beat them 3-1 at uh, Bramall Lane, but it was a bit closer than uh, 3-1 suggests. Wrexham missed a penalty, a second penalty, which could have swung things. And that that would have been really something, because Sheffield United are going great guns in the championship, second in the table to Burnley, hoping to be in the Premier League next year. And Wrexham are not in the league at all. They're in the National League. But such has been the effect of uh, Ryan Reynolds' and company, that uh, they're on a roll and they're hoping to get promoted from the National League back into the Football League. So there's another another story. Hollywood ending denied, but not forevermore. I think they've got a good chance of getting back into the Football League. So that's the FA Cup uh, and the next round uh, are going to be played early in March. Let's watch out for that. But we're going to return to Premier League action. And this next one, Bob, is you again. Fulham versus Nottingham Forest. How are we feeling about this game, Bob? A uh, tricky one for Forest, this. Um, despite the, um, the recent surge, Forest actually won more points than any other club in January, believe it or not. But they had a fairly easy run having had a, a tough time uh, before Christmas. So they took advantage of this, but Fulham have already been Forest at the city ground. Frankly, they look a lot better team, despite all of the money that's been spent by Forest. They, they look a genuine Premier League team. They've got aspirations of making it into Europe, whereas Forest have only got aspirations of staying in the Premier League. But uh, with Kayla Navas... We saw what impact he made against Leeds. He probably cost Jesse Marsh his job with those early saves. I'm not saying that uh, Wayne Hennessy wouldn't have made them. I don't think he would have made them all. And that's the difference, isn't it? You've got a world-class keeper. Uh, you've, got, you've got half a chance. So uh, a very important acquisition for Forrest. I think Mitrovic and company will keep him busy at Craven Cottage on Saturday night. But he's up for it. He was very impressive. Uh, everybody in Nottingham has spoken well of him. The players like him. They say he's very humble. And he's made a good impact so far. So Kayla Navas in goal for Forrest. It, it doesn't sound right, does it? Hmm. But... <laughs> hey, you had Peter Schilder for a long time. You have to look at him twice to see. But... Uh, he looked just as good as he has been in the game against Leeds. So hopefully he can continue that. But whether it's enough against Fulham, I doubt it somehow. I think um, I think that's a home winner for me. Yeah, and when you count correctly, Bob, I think Kelo Navas is Forrest's 150th signing <laughs> this season or something, right? 29th, actually. 29th signing. That's two teams worth. <laughs> right. A bit like Chelsea, special teams coming in for first half, second half, attack and defence. <laughs> That's right. Um, West Ham versus Chelsea is another game. West Ham are not in a great run of form, but Chelsea as well. You know, only five points in their last five games. Uh, Graham Potter's side are not quite clicking, it seems. 
So um, the West Ham is a real mystery to me. I just can't work it out. There's not much difference between this season's team and last season's team, and yet they are struggling. They got a really good point against Newcastle last time out, which I think will boost their confidence. That's on the back of that important 2-0 win over Everton. I really do think West Ham will dig their ways out of trouble. They're too good to be down there. As for Chelsea, my, my consistent um, comment about this is these are not players selected by Graham Potter. And if your coach isn't the one selecting the players, then it's really tough to expect your coach to make them into a cohesive unit. Individually, fabulous players, terrific players. But again, you, you can only put 11 on the pitch at, at any one time. They will come good because of the quality of the players. Uh, but it, it's going to be a matter of time. Seven defeats already. They don't score enough goals. It's barely a goal a game uh, for Chelsea this season. So um, uh, London derbies can all, always be a little bit spicy. It's at um, West Ham. It's at the London Stadium. You know what? I think this could be another struggle for Chelsea as West Ham continue their resurgence. I'm not saying West Ham will win, but uh, I'm, I'm certainly p- picking West Ham to pick up a point at least. And another game, Saturday 11pm kickoff is Crystal Palace. Uh, they take on Brighton, uh, who are on the up. They're sixth in the league. And Brighton are really, really doing well. Uh, yeah, this um, the M25... Uh, uh, the M25 Derby. Derby or something it's, it's called, isn't it? Um, yeah. These clubs, they are about 50 miles apart, actually, um, but it's still called a derby because of the animosity that has arisen between them. Uh, Started over some silly thing about 30 years ago, but it's been maintained. And it's it's really quite hard fought every game. And even, you know, foreign players come into it and they're, they're briefed as to you know, how to deal with this situation, as all derbies are. I mean, like the Merseyside derby, there's a lot of players born in various continents around the world who embrace the atmosphere and they go at it hammer and tongs. Just because you're not actually from the place, it doesn't mean you're not committed. Always an entertaining uh, setup, this. Brighton very much in the ascendancy here, bidding for a place in Europe, Managing to sell their best players and get even better and climb even higher up the league. They've sold three of their best this season. They managed to hang on to uh, Kaisidu, who's probably their best, best of a lot, despite being offered 80 million by Chelsea. Remarkable numbers. But Chelsea, I mean, Todd Bowley's got that in his back pocket, hasn't he? But how they're going to get around financial fair play is probably the next question. But they're doing it by amortization they're giving these players such long contracts that they can stretch it out even at 80 million fee they give the guy an eight-year contract it's only 10 million a year and that's how they're getting round financial fair play but that is in the law that's the difference what city did is not so chelsea are pushing the boundaries but they are still well within financial fair play believe it or not despite this splurge Getting back to Brighton, they've got something going here. Uh, when Potter left, there was a bit of a question mark whether they'd lose momentum. But they had Roberto Di Zerbi in mind. They had him lined up as the, the nearest thing to a Graham Potter that they could find. He was available, so they got him. He had a bit of a sticky start. They lost, I think, the first three or four games under him. But he didn't blink. He carried on playing the way he wanted them to play. And he's turned it right around. They're in a very good position to get into Europe, if not the Europa League, Europa Conference. 
And the way the club is run and the fans, the fans have always been very keen when they had to traipse across the country to watch home games when they didn't have a ground. They were always there in big numbers. They're Brighton fans are genuine fans. And I, I think it's so are palaces, actually. So are palaces. But I think the momentum is with Brighton. Crystal Palace are not scoring enough. So I fancy Brighton for this one. We're going to take another break and a couple more Premier League action as well as World Club Cup. All that coming right here on Just For Kicks, BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just For Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just For Kicks on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9 is Just For Kicks. I'm Ali Johan. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm with Bob Holmes and Des Hill tonight. Uh, we're talking English Premier League action match day 23 coming up this week. This is a relegation scrap. Southampton versus Wolves. Southampton Wolves, yes. Well, uh, Southampton are in the bottom three and probably second favourites to go down, along with their neighbours, the South Coast neighbours, Bournemouth. And Wolves uh, have been down there, but under Julian Lopetegui, they look a different team. And they hammered Liverpool. I mean, I don't think you can put it any other way. They were superb. They've gone back to playing the football that they first played when they got promoted from the championship two or three years ago under, under Nuno. They play really nice football at Wolves, and it's heavily influenced by the Portuguese contingent. And now they've got a Spanish manager. I think they are gelling, and I don't see Wolves going down. They were playing quite well, even when they were in the bottom three. They just weren't scoring. But now they're managing to get the odd goal, and pick up the wins. They've got three against uh, Liverpool defence. You might say that's not that difficult. But um, nevertheless, they, they did it. I, I would say Wolves, Wolves very much in, uh, in the favourites position for this. And uh, as a Forest fan, I hope so too, because we could do with Southampton and Bournemouth definitely going down and make it only one place to fight over. That's right. And... The big one, we can argue, for this match day 23 is the Merseyside derby. There's Liverpool take on Everton on Tuesday. It's a 4am kickoff. This is going to be a big one. Uh, to those of us lucky enough to be born in Liverpool, this is the one that counts. Forget Man United, forget Chelsea, forget anything. Uh, this is the one that counts because you've got to face your brother or your nephew or your or your old schoolmates if if it goes wrong for you. And Liverpool have had um, a great record in this over recent years. But Everton are going to be a different animal under Sean Dyche. I'll hate them because they'll be snarling and horrible and Tarkovsky and Cody at the back will be snapping into challenges and Liverpool defensively have been porous. Um, the two goals they gave away against Wolves were just bad goals. Matip, very slow to close down. Joe Gomez um, heading into the danger zone once again. You're 2-0 down. You're, you're, you're lost. I actually thought Liverpool played pretty well in that uh, uh, for the rest of that game against Wolves. So I'm encouraged about them going forward. The good news is Virgil van Dijk is back in full training. That's good news. So he could well be coming back. The talk that Nat Phillips may well be called up just for this game because of the physicality, the number of times Everton are likely to lump the ball in, into the penalty area. But this one is one where a Jurgen Klopp's team have really got to scrap. That used to be the mentality of Jurgen Klopp's team. It's kind of lost its way a little bit against Deich, though, and uh, the Everton fans will be just absolutely rabid. Those who get uh, into Anfield, they'll make a, a, a great noise. But this is a proper scrapping, snarling derby. 
where for Liverpool, it's really, really important that they don't lose. If they lose, it's 40 feet in five and the confidence will continue to slip. If they win, they'll say, hey, listen, there's nearly half a season to go and we can turn this one round. As for Everton, well, they've already shown, I think, under Sean Dyche, they'll be a different animal and probably may well be able to escape relegation. What an amazing transformation in just uh, a couple of training sessions Sean Dyche made uh, taking over from um, Lampard. Horrible to watch, but really difficult to play against. So it'll be a snarl, nil-nil. Yeah, Liverpool sit 10th in the league right now and Everton 18th, Bob. We didn't have a show on Monday, so we didn't get to talk about Sean Dyche's Everton beating Arsenal. I mean, the transformation, as Daz says, from Frank Lampard was quite incredible. I don't think I can remember anything quite so different from one game to the next. So he's on a roll. I mean, uh, Liverpool could burst his bubble very easily. I think this is one of those days, I'm sure you agree with me, Des, uh, where Klopp could do with a Rigi on the bench just to bring on, you know, with 10 minutes to go if he needed him. But uh, a Rigi is long gone. But he, he famously um, was a, a thorn in uh, Everton's side, wasn't he, on more than one occasion. But it, it could be very tight, could be decided by something like that, a goal in off somebody's backside in the 97th minute. Uh, but it'll be entertaining. Uh, well worth getting up at four o'clock in the morning on Tuesday for. It seems uh, a long way away. But yeah, th- this is this has become a very big game because of that win by Everton and because of Liverpool's poor form. When you saw the fixture at the start of the season, you would have said a routine win for Liverpool. But their decline has been quite worrying. And I think it's worrying to Jurgen Klopp. It's taken its toll on him. He's become a bit tetchy with reporters and this sort of thing. And uh, Everton, knowing the mentality in Liverpool, they will be very much up for this. They will sense they can hit Liverpool while they're down. Mm. So I, I expect Everton to come out of the traps just like they did against Arsenal. Yeah. It really could be well worth getting up early for. And if they get anything, they crawl out of the relegation zone. So that will be uh, a good motivation for them to do well in this game. Um, so that's the matches that we're looking forward to for match day 23 in the English Premier League. Uh, we're going to go around the world for other world football. And right now what's uh, been happening is the World Club Cup, Des. The semi-finals just uh, concluded. Al-Hilal beating Flamengo Brazil 3-2. And Al-Ahli succumbed to a 4-1 defeat to Real Madrid. That puts Al-Hilal and Real Madrid in the World Club Cup finals. Tell us more about this competition. Well, the World Club Cup is uh, becoming an annual. It is an annual event now. Um, The European teams tend to dominate, and it's normally against the South American team in the final. So Al-Hilal's defeat of uh, Flamengo... Even though uh, Flamengo were reduced to 10 men just before half time, and there was a hmm, an iffy penalty given against them, and they're saying that the refereeing wasn't wasn't great. But Al Hilal, the Saudi team, are a strong, strong team. We saw it in the World Cup where a nine of the Al Hilal um, setup were in the Saudi team that beat Argentina, who went on to win the World Cup. Let's not forget. So Al Hilal and Saudi football are going through uh, a metamorphosis. Not only Ronaldo, who scored four goals by the way yesterday in a, a game against the relegation team but Al-Hilal are the best by a long way in Saudi Arabia and they played some lovely football they scored the two penalties from Aldousari they scored a peach of a winner they play nice um, in 
inventive football. And Real Madrid, who went through 4-1, will probably be strolling into this thing. And, ah, this is going to be not nice and easy, but this is another world club, another trophy for Real Madrid. Al-Hilal, this is an opportunity to really put Saudi football on the mark. And Real Madrid will take Al-Hilal lightly at their peril because they can play. You're also allowed the, the, the foreign players so it's part of the AFC rules, but um, in the World Club Cup, you can play just about whoever you want. Um, so the Saudi team can play all of their foreign imports, should they choose to. But they probably won't. They'll stick with the uh, the bulk of the Saudi national team. And Real Madrid should take this one very, very, very seriously. Otherwise, it could be a, a shock and the sock that uh, the coach will be rid of if uh, Real Madrid don't win this World Club Cup. And with Liverpool getting them in the uh, Champions League pretty soon, I could do a little bit of unrest in the Real Madrid camp. <laughs> Are they playing their top players for this competition? Yeah, Real yeah. It's a world, you want to be world, club, world champions. Of course you do. That's why I think it, it's really serious. That's why I think uh, Ancelotti is under um, not immense pressure, but uh, there's certainly some talk that he could be got rid of if they're on the wrong end of, a, of an upset because you don't want to be humiliated. It's the world club cup you're the best in the world no matter how people may regard the competition it is the fifa world club cup and it makes you uh, de facto the best team in the world so the world club cup action uh final between al hilal versus real madrid going to be played in rabat morocco kickoff on saturday at 8 p.m if you are not into English Premier League and you want some other kind of uh, World Club football, uh, there's the World Club Cup final. And that actually neatly rounds up our episode tonight for Just For Kicks and only remains me to thank my esteemed pundits, Bob Holmes. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, and enjoy the football. Des Cockhill, thanks for being on the show, Des. Good day, Bjorn. Just for kicks, Ali. I wanted to have a go at you, but you didn't give me the opportunity. <laughs> the big one, Liverpool versus Everton on Monday night. That's uh, got me a little bit nervous. And a few Malaysia League teams are in friendlies over the weekend. I'll be keeping an eye out for them as well. That's right. And I'm Ali Johan signing off for Just for Kicks tonight. We'll be back same time next Monday, 8pm. So keep it locked here. Just for Kicks here on BFM 89.9. For more football, tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8pm. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.